Welcome to Dangerous Likely. I'm Terrell. And I'm Torrance. And Caleb is currently wandering somewhere in the wilderness. And that's why this week, we're dangerously likely to have a TNT's Variety Hour. So I know our names are Torrance and Terrell, but what is a TNT Variety Hour? Oh, Terrell, I am so happy that you asked. A TNT's Variety Hour is just going to be some casual conversations about some of our favorite things. We're going to kick it off with pop with politics, excuse me, where both Terrell and I are going to introduce a topic and we're going to have a casual conversation about that. Then we're going to move over to pop culture, where we're going to talk about something that's going on in current events and pop culture and have a little bit of a casual conversation about that. And then we're going to end it up with a little bit of entertainment, talk some film, television, music, some things we're listening to, um, and just have an overall casual conversation between us two and get the opportunity to speak about a few things that we don't often talk about on the pod. So Terrell, to kick us off with the politics lead, how about you tell us what you would like to talk about today? It's funny that you said casual conversation because between the two of us, our conversations are never casual. Um, (laughs) which sets me up perfectly because obviously I like politics and there's just so much that's happening, but I do think that we as a people are missing some rather impressive marketing strategies out of the white house right now. Um, none of us can forget 2016 excited thinking we're about to see our first female president and obviously not and going into chaos. Um, and I think that the white house took notes from that as we watch our first female vice president lead in conversation, sit at the table, be a part of these amazing, um, dialogues and and policy driven ideals. There seems to be this framing from the administration that Kamala Harris is a leader. She's prepared to take the job as soon as necessary, if ever necessary. And I feel like, and and this is where I want to kick it to you a little bit. They're really starting to make it seem like, and obviously this isn't me saying I disagree with this belief, but they're really making it seem like a female can lead our country. What are your thoughts? (laughs) I mean, I love to see it. Um, And I actually, I want to point this out and maybe it's a, it's a, point of conversation but the fact that we're having the conversation about it i think is is kind of interesting right um it, it suggests this this general notion that obviously this is unfamiliar to us this is not something that we typically see um when really it yeah. should be a it should be a non-thing because she's an experienced um public official uh she was an attorney she was a, a district attorney she was an attorney general then a senator of one of the most populous states in the country um and now she's the vice president so of course she is ready to take the job and do it on day one but the fact that it i agree it does kind of it has required the the white house to set forth this marketing strategy to communicate what should be obvious to the american people about kamala mm-hmm. harris or rather vice president kamala harris um but i think that it's interesting because it probably signals to what um we would be looking at post a biden presidency and the democratic leadership yeah and something interesting that i also found is that YouGov did some early polling just to get a sense also fun fact we don't do a lot of polling for our vice presidents we focus on the president we know how 
the public sees them. But there's not a lot of information about how the public views our vice president. Um, but the little bit I was able to see currently, um, Vice President Harris is polling 48% to 35% in an approval rating. And as we went through the primary, the election cycle, there was this specter, if you will, of is the country not only ready for a female, but ready for a female of color to be in such a prominent role. And I think a hesitation that there would be a lot of pushback and seeing that she's already close to and polling higher than the administration's predecessor. Um, I'm really intrigued. I'm, I'm interested to see if this experiment and if this attempt to show that not only is Kamala Harris ready for such a position, but she has the idea she belongs at the table. Females belong at the table. I'm intrigued to see how this polling, if there's any moving forward, continues to move. And also how the media narrative changes from what we saw during the primaries and the election of here is this um, female of color using that narrative, talking about the historic moment and how it starts to transition more to what we're starting to see of the vice president is leading when we're speaking about immigration. She's at the forefront of legislative conversations. She is um, speaking to world leaders and doing the work of the administration like a, a number two should, but also doing the work to show she is ready. I, I don't know. Maybe it's me reading too much into it, but I'm so intrigued by this shift in our media narrative and the shift in just the populace in, in, at large. Well, I, no, I think that you're certainly hitting the nail on the head there. I think that if you're familiar with her career thus far, like I kind of already laid out, she's got the domestic chops. She's got the policy chops. She's got the yeah. leadership chops, right? She she led us the the largest um, justice department in the country next to the United States Justice Department. And so obviously she has the leadership abilities, but something that we didn't see out of uh, Vice President Harris's uh, career prior to becoming the vice president was a lot of um, foreign policy mm -hmm. and international leadership. And I think that, um, I, I guess, not that, that not that President Biden was in the same position as VP, but he did take a lot of the foreign policy um, he spearheaded a lot of the foreign policy initiatives of the Obama administration. I think that President Biden is doing a similar thing with, with, with Vice President Harris, but I also think it's allowing her to add some things to her resume that she did not previously have, um, which is why I do believe it signals somewhat of a um, plan to see her as the standard bearer for the party, uh, given for whatever reason, Joe Biden didn't run in four years, even though he said he, he plans to, and that's mm -hmm. currently the plan, or after the next four years, if he were to win. That um, I think he is setting her up to be uh, poised to be the standard bearer, but also prepared to be the standard bearer as well. I think that, that that must go hand in hand, not just appear to be ready, but you actually have done the work to be ready. Do you feel that there might be any pitfalls or any areas of caution as we transition through this administration, as um, it's assumed that Harris is probably going to take on more responsibilities, there's going to be more of that push. Um, I know both of us are from Michigan. We we saw what happened to Governor Whitmer by being a leader in the state and the experiences she had. Is there reason to have caution or to be concerned with this kind of strategy? No, no, I don't think so. I think that, 
you know, for example, like what happened with Governor Whitmer in Michigan, I think that's just, you know, the patriarchy and misogyny being what it is. Um, you know, I'm mean, like, I don't know if that's a specific problem. I think that it's it's the same old, same old rather than something different. Um, I, I, I quite I quite frankly, I mean, I don't know that I'm going to say that I would want Vice President Harris as the standard bearer of the party after this. I think that I have other more progressive candidates that I would I would get behind. But mm-hmm. also she can grow and learn and change and she might become more progressive through her experiences and the more because, you know, the more, you know, um, but I think that this is a very intelligent uh, decision by the administration and specifically um, by, by President Biden as far as putting her forth as the standard bearer for the party after him. Um, I think, and I, like I just mentioned before, that it's not just for the sake of looking like it, but I think that he's actually giving her the work to prepare for it. Yeah. Um, so I, I commend the effort. Um, and we could we could certainly be reading into it, right? Like maybe this is simply her her stepping up to the plate for the job and him giving her the responsibility that is that he that he needs her to take, um, and not so much some messaging or or uh, marketing strategy out of the out of the administration about a, uh, a woman leader. So we, we could be reading into it, but given patriarchy and misogyny, we probably aren't. Yes, and I mean, even if we are, I think that still speaks to the point of. We live in a country where it seems so out of the ordinary. And I mean, there have been a few political articles and I want to say one out of BBC that even spoke to, it seems that Harris as a vice president is being more um, present than um, former vice presidents. But even if we are reading into it, that says something about the state of the country that we live in that we can pick up on these things and yeah, she's doing the job. She's doing what's necessary, but because it's so out of the ordinary for our country and because our country likes to hype up that it's out of the ordinary individuals like us can even take a moment to say, huh? Interesting. Well, I think that you like, you hit the nail on the head there in that, like, I think both are true, right? She, they are probably just doing what needs to be done. Mm -hmm. And because we haven't seen it before, somehow it is novel that a woman would be taking on these tasks, but it's actually not novel whatsoever that a woman can actually do those tasks. Um, you know I mean? Like, I think that it's like, usually when we go about showing women don't need to prove anything, it's simply, they just do what men do and often a lot times better. Uh, and it's not that they couldn't have done it. And it's so shocking is that we just hadn't seen them do it before. Yeah. And not because they didn't want to, but because, you know, we hadn't, given them the opportunity to. And so I'm, I, I was one that was very excited about having a woman vice president and I am excited to see, uh, how much more she continues to grow and lead myself as well. What about you? Where's your political leaning at, at this moment? No, I actually think this is a perfect segue, uh, because we're, we're talking about women leaders and, and the conflict that women face as leaders in this country. Um, but, if people have been paying attention to the news in the past week, Michigan um, has become the number one hotspot for COVID. Um, and on Friday, Governor Whitmer um, issued a issued a ask a plea for a two week pause of in school learning, of school sports, of in of in person dining, but did not um, mandate those things. One because of the political pushback, and not just political as in like from party, but like from people who have actually sought to, to cause her harm for her, for her decisions as a leader to keep people safe um, because they would like to call it an infringement on their rights when 
that's that's a completely different conversation but um she's been put in a position to be to fear doing her job but not only that um you know the republican state legislature here in michigan took her to the supreme court um for her executive powers uh halfway through like, in the middle of the pandemic in the fall and did strip her of some of her of, of her executive powers to mandate some of these things and so i think it's not it's I think that if she wanted to, if she could, she would put all of these back in place if she thought that was right. Um, but because of the volatility of our politics here in Michigan, um, and specifically the hostility that comes from the Republican legislature when it comes to putting any of these mandates in, um, she's asked for just a pause. And in last week, we, out of the 10 um, urban places where there have been the largest outbreaks issued by the CDC, seven of those cities were in Michigan. So we are facing an issue Um but I, I wanted to I wanted to frame it so that we could have a conversation more broadly because we are both from Michigan about mm-hmm. the difficulty of these kinds of things here, right? So we we elected Governor Whitmer in 2018. Um, we pre- prior to that had eight years of a Republican administration um, in a gover- in our governor. We had a Republican co- re- controlled legislature. Um, we now have a Republican controlled legislature, a Democratic governor, two Democratic senators, um, and. We have a very weird political <laughs> dynamic here. Yes. Um, and it's not so much that, like like I was explaining, it's, right, it's not so much that we don't know that certain policies and protocols need to be put in place to stave off this surge that we're seeing. But it's so complex because we live in a place where, like, yes, we, we just voted blue, but we have a lot of blue-collar Democrats where... Mm-hmm. They're union Democrats. They understand the power of the government to to help ensure some some sort of equality or to decrease inequality and inequity. But they are still flag waving, patriotic, um, socially moderate um, Democrats, right? So what that means yeah. is they they want health care, for example, but they don't want you telling them to wear a mask. Yeah. Uh, so. We have it. We have an environment is a good way of putting it. Yeah. Socially moderate. Right. So like we, I live in a, I live in a smaller town um, that is, that is pretty conservative. And here you will see, and and this is not new. This is for the past couple months, anywhere from 40 to 50% of people not wearing a mask. Mm -hmm. And that is just regular, normal. No one thinks of it as anything. Um, And I'm in, and we're in an environment here where if I were to say something to someone, like I'd probably have to fear violence. Yeah. Uh, like you know about not wearing a mask, about socially distant distant distancing, and we also have a pretty terrible anti-vax um, campaign here in Michigan mm-hmm. uh, that seems to disproportionately impact us, and so that has made it hard for us to reach um, the numbers that we need to as far as vaccination goes. So, I mean, you are from here, Terrell. Tell me a little bit about like your perspective on this because I know that you you partially agree, but help give some more context to the listeners. Yeah, and I, I think context is a good point too because while i'm happy with where michigan was following the last series of elections also being able to vote for um some constitution changes my last election in michigan we can't forget that the governor before um, governor whitmer legitimately led to and caused harm in a michigan city and and his inaction as governor, as an administration, led to the Flint water crisis that is still being talked about to this day. And I do think that played a lot into the shift Michigan saw politically. Um, 
But that point that you made on being socially moderate, I think Michigan is a great example of the struggle that the current conservative party is going through, not in the sense of believing in and not believing in facts, but really truly trying to figure out how to be the party of small government when big government's so necessary. We're in a pandemic. We need a mandate that says you need to wear facial coverings. We need the same type of vaccination protocol that we have for any child that goes to school to show, hey, I've been vaccinated with X, Y, and Z. And if I haven't, here are the short little bits of exemptions, but here are spaces and places where I can show up and be there. Um, We need that type of action. And the Michigan legislature specifically has fought the the governor's administration at every turn, not because she's wrong, but because they don't like the fact that she's acting in a big government way. And had uh, her predecessor done that in Flint, we wouldn't be having fear of how many children have lead poisoning. What are the long-term implications going to be on their livelihood, their lifestyle, all of these pieces, right? So I'm very frustrated that the governor did all the things she had in her toolkit only to be limited. And now as we're starting to see a rise because her restrictions had to be limited, her power got stripped to some degree. You're trying to see that legislature step in and dance that really fine line, but not know how to do it. And at the same time, watching a state that was really doing well through this pandemic all of a sudden become the next hotspot, which was always the biggest fear that the governor would speak of and the rationale for the strict guidelines that she gave. So I have a mix of frustrations. Also, Michigan, like you mentioned, is just a cluster in you can live on the west side of the state that believes this is all a hoax and COVID doesn't really exist. But from the east side, um, where I'm from, Detroit impacted was impacted a lot by all of this. And there's a constant reminder that we need to do the work to protect each other in that space that I wish would have transitioned across um, 75 to the western side. <laughs> right. So, I mean... And it's, it's specifically a part of like Michigan's um, like political and social dynamic is that like, it's the reason that we are such a, a hotbed for um, like independent militias yeah. is that we, there's a, there's a real like connection and deep belief in individuals' rights and civil liberties. Um, and that's why like, it's specific to like a mask is something that is really hard, right? Like that's why we weren't successful in the first place with our initial lockdown is because one people didn't want to socially distance people didn't want to stay at home people didn't want to wear a mask and so i think that it's, it can't be it can't go unsaid that we find ourselves in this issue because of a continued dismissive um, approach to these protocols that like if we had just kind of you know hunkered down and done what we needed to do early on we wouldn't have been seeing these issues now later on and going through a second third and now possible fourth wave mm-hmm. of this pandemic um, and we have been hit pretty hard. And I know most, a lot of people who know people who have, who have had COVID or have died from COVID or know someone who has, who has, um, lost someone from COVID. And I, I just, it's what can be really frustrating about this state. You know, I love, I love Michigan and, um, it's a place that I care deeply about, like as, um, as a place, but 
the political culture here is, is really complex and very difficult to handle. So I know I mentioned this to you offline, but I was back home for a couple of days and something that still sits with me, just recognizing, again, Michigan has all the things you need. I, I've always said, if you want to see America in one space, Michigan's the place to go. You have the West Coast, West Side, West Coast, whatever you want to call it, with the beaches and the lighthouse and you just feel like you're in a different state. If you want to go into the wilderness, you want to go to like the the Pacific Northwest type feel, you go up north in Michigan. If you want to be in the big cities like your New York's or your Boston's, you go to the eastern side of the state and you get that. Or if you just want to be in middle of America, go to anything surrounding Lansing, Kalamazoo, Nile, all that jazz, right? Um, But what comes with that is also this confusing mindset in Michigan. Like we all have a lot of pride. We always talk a lot about it, but there's also a disdain for Detroit and there's the Bible belt that includes Grand Rapids. And there's places I don't feel comfortable going to because I know I'm going to see several Confederate flags um, that I don't know how, that state moves forward specifically as we try this whole get back to normal when the Supreme court ruled to limit the governor's power, when the courts threw out the terrorism charges against the individuals who were coming for the governor, when you have people still wearing the Confederate flag in a state that fought for the union, there's just so many of those pieces. And again, I come back to your moderate, um, your, your individuals who are moderately social um, and when it comes to policy. I don't know how Michigan moves forward, especially because politics have gotten so hot lately. Now, to bring down the temperature a little bit, let's uh, bop on over to some pop culture talk. I know that you're excited about this conversation, Terrell, so I'll let you go ahead and kick it off. And tell me a little bit about those icons. <laughs> Are you sure? <laughs> um, I was, as always, watching a TikTok, and there was a, a conversation about what is our generation's icons going to look like? When we are throwing up people, no disrespect, don't want to get canceled, but when we're throwing up people like Doja Cat or Megan Thee Stallion as like they are the icons now when they have one album out, what does that mean for a generation that grew up before us? Music that I listen to, your Whitney Houston's, your Michael Jackson's, those individuals that really impacted um, the music industry. And then you get into your Beyonce conversation, which I'm sure might derail anything that we speak to. But <laughs> what what does it mean when you have a person who builds a cult worshiping group that anytime you come for them? Granted, I take some onus. I'm a I'm kind of a Swifty sometimes, so I fall into this, but. Like, how do you handle well, that? I am firmly in the hive. Don't you worry. 
firmly in the beehive. But how do you how do you have this conversation about the fact that they're not icons? Not yet, at least. Well, I, I actually think, okay, so I think that there's a very valid conversation that has to be had about this worship culture that we have and this, oh, what an icon, right? Everyone always saying those kinds of things about people who haven't built the breadth of a career uh, mm-hmm. that that merits that um, that title. But I do believe that there are, like, like please don't come at Beyonce because, <laughs> <laughs> like, she, she is an icon in here, and I'll explain why. I'll explain why Beyonce is an icon, right? Because we have, we we have a we have a woman who has gone from being on a talent search show as a young kid, who was had a very 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 successful girl group that did very well on its own, then transferred, and, and then and at the start of a film career. Don't, don't don't forget the film career. Let's not put the film. No, don't her, don't put the film we, career in there. Yes, don't put the film don't, career are you in there. To, are you trying to speak ill of Dreamgirls right this moment? Do yes. You, do not put the film. Do not put her film career in this conversation. We're trying to highlight, not trying to low light. Oh, the disrespect! The disrespect. And so, as I continue, <laughs> you I really are trying to act like her performance in Dreamgirls was any more than. Uh, I watched Diana Ross right before this presentation and then tried to emulate her. No, next, moving I'm on. Not, no, I'm not saying that Beyonce is an Oscar-worthy fi- film actress. That's Do not, no, sure. don't get me wrong, because you know I'm an actor. I love film. I would never put her in that bucket, right? But you have we we have actors who are just actors, yeah, who act worse than her, right? So we've got a, we've got a, so like I said, talented individual artist from a group also a film career, then a solo career that is incredibly, incredibly successful. She has been arti- she has been an artistic chameleon and changed from, from album to album. She has evolved. She has a, she is pop culturally relevant. Her her mm-hmm. concert her concert films are hugely successful. Because her performances of her are bar none. Her mm-hmm. her performances are bar none. She is an incredible entertainer and performer, like like few others in our lifetime. <laughs> and then, just to top that little cherry on top, because we <laughs> talked about it a few weeks ago, <laughs> she is the most awarded female recording artist in history. So the merits are there when we're talking icon sass with her. But I don't want to take over your conversation. Let's no. go back to the core of the conversation. But this is no, this is a great point too. Uh, and this speaks to that of I need to qualify. I can agree to an extent. Yes, Beyonce has left an impact on the industry and in my opinion, that's what matters when it comes to speaking to what an icon is, right? It it's someone who impacted the industry. When you think about Michael Jackson, he impacted the industry, not only through his incredible ear and tune to music, but also his ability to sell out stadiums, to go worldwide, to have these um, thoughtful music videos. Whitney Houston, same ordeal. Um, Beatles, insert other random icon groups here. So I, I can grant that. I think my my struggle with Beyonce, again, not to divert too much, but still relevant, is yes, she's won a lot of awards and she she has gotten a lot of stature in that. However, she played to a system which 
had a copy and paste type model and she was able to do it well and she's broken that which i appreciate um it led to that amazing it led to that amazing snl skit where all the white folk realized that beyonce was black for the first time and the world shut down it it was one of those (laughs) but we can't ignore the fact that there were several albums that had one or two hits that people really enjoyed, but it was still that copy and paste format. It wasn't the, this is an artistic moment. It was her voice is good and the melody works. So we're going to go with it. And, and that's a critique of the music industry at large. <laughs> I, I would entertain a, a, a comment. No, 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 it's okay. It's okay. I would say that I, I would say that I, I get what you're saying when you're talking when you're when you're when you're citing Michael Jackson when you're citing the Beatles when you're when you're citing Whitney Houston when you're citing Diana like the, I I know what you're saying right I do know what you're saying but I do believe like I believe that those are icons and I think that they they fit that definition based on um the commonly understood definition of that at the time but I think that we are like we are looking at like Beyonce through a lens of a completely different um industry yes but i I don't need to hash out whether she's an icon i think that she's well on her way and i don't need to make that argument for anyone um i think i think she'll do it herself uh but i think that to to the more specific point of the culture that we've created today of worship worshiping our artists and calling people icons that are not i i absolutely agree because like i just listed out and like we just discussed um there's there's a lot that goes into saying this person's an icon yeah you know, like, like it's it's more than just saying they're good because there's a lot of great artists who write great songs and perform great songs and have great voices, but don't necessarily change the industry, don't necessarily innovate in a way, don't necessarily break out of the mold and do something different than the other girls are doing, as Ira Mattis and the third would say. And um, like, I, I think that it is an issue and that we need to be more intentional about language, but that's kind of across the board in our culture at this point. Also fair. Small. No, rather large, rather large rock I'm going to throw here. So, yes, I agree. Um, But if I were to list out the following, let's go Lady Gaga, Beyonce, Taylor Swift, Justin Timberlake. And say that those individuals are icons. One, would you agree? Two, is there an issue with us saying that now? And three... Is there concern, specifically for one individual, that history is going to, or the future, is going to write them in a much more negative light that will limit them from that status? I I will concede that you gave me a difficult list um, to make that judgment on. There's only one person that I would say we could do without on that list. Who? The male. Hmm. I think that because like right and the only here's the reason I said because I was gonna say that like a synonym I would use like for like what like what gets to icon level is in some way trailblazing mm-hmm. something different right and I think that like there's an argument like I don't know if it's gonna be like this large argument but there could be an argument made for each of those three women about their impact on the industry as a whole by doing something different than the others or, or, or being so good or unique in their approach to the art that it has either garnered mass respect or large amounts of jealousy. Um, and I think that like th- that one, like, 
like people make a lot of say a lot of things about Taylor Swift, but I'm not going to entertain the argument that the girl can't write a song and doesn't know how to sing. Exactly. Like, I'm just not going to entertain that argument. Like it's it's untrue. And and, and I I push back on the uh, premise. I already made the the case for Beyonce, and then Gaga. We're looking at someone who was all but you know ostracized from the the community because of her approach to this art, the way that she Mm -hmm. was completely immersive and different, but she is an incredibly talented singer, a phenomenal actress has been a chameleon in a way that most people are not. um, And has brought it and brought it from film to television with American horror story through her different albums and the way that her art is so embedded into pop culture at this point, because of the, her approach to her music and her art that, you 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 would be crazy to make the argument that she hasn't also done that. So yeah. like I think if you could see the through line between what I'm saying is that like icon status has to come not from simply living in your industry but permeating the culture. And that's and that's where we And that's why I bring up Justin Timberlake because he wrote for SNL. He was in a boy band, broke out, did his own thing, went movies for a while amazing songwriter he has a lot of songs that he was never featured on that he will have credit for but history yeah history time whichever word you want to look at has started to shift him in a free britney movie (laughs) well what what i think that that ails the argument for justin is that what did he do that the other boys did like the other guys have not done before right like like not specifically people in sync, right? But like what other guys who originally started in a band haven't broken out into a very successful solo career, done some films. Like I think there are other people and and, and he has a disadvantage, right? Because he's a male in a male dominated industry yeah. in a very patriarchal and misogynistic society that held back the opportunity for women to do the same and created a lot of, co- like a lot of competition in this sense for, you know, for him to become an icon by our standards, right? Because so many other men have literally done what he's done. Um, well, now I'm reflecting on it. Who, what other male has gone from group to single? This is going to be, you're going to be like, oh yeah. And it's different. It's not like a boy band, but have you ever heard of a little group called the Jackson five? Okay. Well, yes, I have that one. <laughs> yes. that. But I'm, mean, I'm just saying like, it's like, I'm thinking like our, <laughs> in our time frame, like uh, one direction, but I would argue Harry Style is not to that caliber yet. I think he might oh, have no, a not, chance. Yeah, yeah, I was like, the yet is so appropriate there, yes. right? But yeah, no, not yet at all. I can't think, like, Zane, no, I can't name any other One Direction right now, being completely honest. Um. Okay, so like... Um, Maroon 5. George Michael, wham. Mm, I didn't think about George Michael. Maroon 5 has stayed, right? At But George Michael, well, you know, going from wham to his solo career, Um, I think we see it more on the... I actually think we see it in the British uh side more yeah uh but yeah that no that that's a that's a that's a bit of a tangent uh yes do you mind if i sneak us over to the next that was a really awesome conversation and guys this is what tnt variety hour is all about these are conversations we love to have off air that we just wanted to have with you guys and and see if you guys are having some of the same thoughts um for me pop culture something that's really grinding my gears uh (laughs) rather is tiktok creators um and Two things. I want to set up this like conversation. I'm um, not necessarily a debate style the way that Terrell kind of did, but more just open conversation about our our thoughts on um, TikTok creators, right? Because I think that we see in 
the pop culture news as of the last couple of weeks, one of the largest, most followed TikTokers in the world is Addison Rae, um, who was just recently released a single that is Blech. just okay. Um, I wouldn't even go that far. Is, like, it, it's, it's exactly like when you say bubblegum pop music machine packaged and pushed out. All right, don't come for JT like song. that. Um, and, and she had her, you know, she had her debut on, um, on Fallon. Mm -hmm. And that was very controversial because she was there doing TikTok dances that were created by black creators and not giving them any of the credit. And kind of like, this is this conversation I want to have is like, we see all of the, the people that are really big on TikTok are people who like come from privilege, who are, 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 becoming famous because of the opportunity to have the reach that they have due to some of the monetary privilege that they come from, um, the networking privilege that they come from just living in LA being like, you know, their, their families being connected in a way that others are not, but then using the content, like selling basically the content of other creators who are largely minority creators who are not getting that, um, credit. Mm -hmm. Um, but also in, in, in in, in excess to that point, like, this idea that TikTok creators are being are famous for, I asked the question, what? <laughs> like, what's the talent? Like, not because they can sing well, not because they can dance well, because that's just not the case. Um, and not because like they're bringing some other talent to the table. And it's really frustrating for me, right? Because you get out, we get on TikTok and we share stuff all the time, and there are genuinely hilarious people making original content yep. that are so funny, so comedic. Uh, there are people who are on there singing their hearts out and sound so amazing. So and you don't see them being one of the, the the most followed people who are making original music. You have people making small sketches, doing acting on there, not getting the same acclaim as these people who are literally just doing dances. They are ripping off from other people and then have millions of followers and then are being in magazines and, you know, Addison Rae specifically. Like, I'm not going to say that this young girl doesn't have any talent, right? Like that this is not something she always wanted to do outside of TikTok. I'm not going to say that because I'm sure that it was. Getting a bunch of TikTok followers does not make you more talented and more worthy of an opportunity in the in the industry. Whether that be getting casted into a movie, which she has, she is doing the she remake of "He's All That," or "She's All That." She is what? she is starring in the remake of "She's All That" called "He's All That." Yes, yes, no, seriously, this is like where my grinds my gears, right? Because I I am an actor. I'm friends with a lot of actors. Um, she has no personality and like like talented people and i always say this that i i always say this that like the difference between a lot of actors who aren't very good and a bunch of actors who, who are really good that no one knows is opportunity yeah but we give opportunity to these people who by by sure networking so i just want to like do you have thoughts on tiktok tiktokers their large like clout in our in our pop culture right now that is just so Silly, and then not to not to mention, not to forget. I want to say this for sure. They were chief. Uh, they were they were they were the, like a, a large population of them in LA during the beginning of the pandemic were having parties. The mm-hmm. FBI got, the FBI had to investigate it. They had to turn off the the water and electric at the Hype House, which is one of the places that a lot of TikTokers live in LA, by Eric Garcetti, the LA mayor, yeah. because of these parties they were having during the pandemic during shutdown. Um, and then we're one of the first people to go out, barely wearing masks, out in public, going to Saddle Ranch every week, while people are homeless, not being able to eat in the mm-hmm. middle of a pandemic. Just like so much privilege and so much like it's it's really frustrating. I, I as you can see, I'm clearly not a fan. So before I dive, I have, I have a question. 
is this not Gen Z? Not saying that there's a chasm, but recognizing. Is this not Gen Z's version of what YouTube was for us? I love it. That's a good question. Because um, <laughs> I'm like, oh, shit. Oh, shit. It is. It, it is. But I actually, I actually have to push back on that in one way. Mm-hmm. People are like, so are our YouTube sensations are Sean Mendez. Talk about the pipes, right? <laughs> We've got Justin Bieber. Yeah. Talk about the pipes. Yeah. Like we're talking about people who like got found on YouTube with talent, mm-hmm. putting out a product. A lot of other people were putting out comedic sketches on YouTube. We're singing on YouTube. We're doing for shit's sake, doing makeup and which is a skill that is a you know something an average person doesn't have. Mm-hmm. So yes, it's it's an iteration of what we had with YouTube. But the difference I would I would make is that like they were doing a lot of content creation, editing, ideation, putting it together. And like I would say that there's a level of talent involved in that, yeah. not putting setting your phone up taking a dance that you just saw on someone else's TikTok, redoing it. And then because you have a lot of further reach for whatever reason that may be, you, you, you're becoming more famous on TikTok yeah. for something you didn't create. And I, so I, you know, I, similar, but not the same. I was going to agree. I, I posed the question, but I also think let us not get it twisted. YouTube, you still had to shop around for people to see you. You had to be able to send out your link TikTok has created this algorithm that people still don't understand that it'll just pop up on your for you page. And next thing you know, you have 1 million likes and you don't have to do the same level. And now I'm sounding like the old man who just hates the generation. But I I agree. I, I think. I mean, even comparing it to Vine, right? I think about some of the vines that made me laugh and are hilarious that are being brought up on TikTok to this day. And those were comedy. Those were really funny. Like, oh, you mm-hmm. almost made me drop my croissant. There wasn't a trend that came out of that. That was a moment that happened that everyone laughed as you laugh right now. <laughs> um, yeah, I hadn't thought, about, I hadn't thought about it in a while. <laughs> and I, I look to and I see these TikTok creators doing their thing, which is awesome. But a lot of it becomes redundant. A lot of it's already there. It's a copy and paste. It's a template. Da, 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 da. Um, and just like you mentioned, I feel like when you start talking about being famous, when you start talking about having this type of clout because you, you're you on TikTok, what, what did you do to get there versus the actor in LA who's been going to the coffee shop every Tuesday because they know that screenplay writers come there that day and just is casually putting themselves out there, giving out headshots, all of those pieces. Um, it's a hard thing. It's a really hard thing. Right. Yeah, no. And I think that like to make a point about it is that like, there's like the specific group of TikTokers and here's the thing. I do not just hate on them. I'm actually just pointing out like, like, for example, like, I'm, I'm just point like they say that a lot, right? Like literally when they got criticized by Ariana Grande for going out in the middle of the pandemic, one of the guys just literally said, oh, people just like to hate on TikTokers. No, you guys are extremely self or unself yeah. like unaware, like have no self-awareness. And like, like a lot of them live, lived in a house mm-hmm. together, but it's like, what privilege or opportunity in life allowed for you to move to LA into a house or to sustain this without having like a full day job, right? Like it's like, what, what amount of privilege made that possible for you? Because like, I mean, some people don't know this, but like I was, I was trying to move out to LA, you know, 
about a year and a half ago, two years ago, and it was incredibly difficult. I needed to have a job. I needed to be able to pay for my own way. And it's not a, a cheap thing. And so like to suggest that it's an easy thing. And there's just a bunch of, you know, 17, 18, 19, 20 year olds that live in a house together in the Hollywood Hills mm -hmm. that are making TikToks all day. Yeah. What allows for that? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And that's where I think that like, there's a disconnect between like talent and grind and trying to get opportunity and somehow stumbling into it yeah i don't want to oversimplify it. i don't know every detail but like there doesn't seem to be a connected reason for this opportunity and that's what i'm pushing back on and i, I appreciate that point too on talent and grind i think that part specifically for me even and for all of our listeners y'all know i'm on tiktok all the time so i'm not here saying like close the app but again, to no the, love TikTok, love the comedy. <laughs> I mean, TikTok has some problematic pieces too, but it's that. Oh yeah, it's that point that you mentioned. Like, there's a grind to it, and when you have an app that will show you a template of where you were the last moment, so you can move around and make sure that it looks really clean cut, done. Versus, I uh, Justin Bieber, great example, who had to learn how to do editing on his computer to make his clips look good and how to get his camera set up right. Because we have the old flip phone camera videos that he used to have that would not look pretty in modern day. Um, that grind piece, I just think is something that we're not talking about enough. Yeah. And just to, to before we move on to the next thing, to, to clean up something you said, um, or not cleaned up rather, but to make a point about it, this isn't a generational gap, right? It's not, it's not a chasm. It's actually that like, I see other Gen Z. Yeah. TikTok creators who are very talented, who have raw, raw talent and aren't getting that opportunity. So it has nothing to do, it has to do with like, again, where is this opportunity meeting the pavement mm -hmm. and how? I'm still dumbfounded that Addison Ray is going to be on a movie. Oh, yeah. Wait till, wait till you... <laughs> yeah, don't get me started. Uh, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Like, I... I think about the entertainment industry right now, film, TV, all of the above. What's what's been on your mind? Yeah, I'm actually really, really excited. I know that and you're a fan of them as well. Yes. So like, I can't wait. I'm so pumped. Uh, OK, so I am a huge fan of an up and coming van, a band from Canada uh, that I've been following for a couple of years now, have seen them in concert um am always casually chatting with them on twitter uh casually they are called yeah no they're a band called valley um they hail from canada and they just recently got signed to Capitol records in la um and they and they were previously signed to universal music in canada mm -hmm. but um they are super incredible they're like they're an indie pop band that writes produces one of their like one of their members produces pretty much most of their music they produce it together they write it together um and they're just like like to talk about like you know a young group of kids who are like grinding for the dream like this is what i'm talking about like they've been touring with other with other acts for several years they were nominated for the break group breakthrough group of the year at the juno awards for 2020 um and they're just hugely up and coming and i am a big fan and wanted to make sure that i plugged them uh they th their biggest song to date is called there's still a light in the house um, from their debut album, maybe. Um, but they just released an EP at the end of last year called mm -hmm. Sucks to See You Doing Better um, with songs like Hip Hiccup, Nevermind, and um, 
the title track sucks to see you doing better um which is which is really awesome and then they just recently released um a song called like 1999 um that has been really killing the charts and have been really big in streaming but i would just want to like implore anyone who's listening to this to go out and give them a listen um i can't imagine like like when i listen to there's still light in the house for the first time in the car on a sunny day driving down this down the road it was life affirming i just I like like kind of like how we're talking about with the TikTok conversation. I'm a huge fan of artists who are grinding out for their dream and really working hard and just trying to do what they got to do to to be seen. And um, they're people that like, I'm really just rooting for from the sidelines and am hoping for great success for them. And I think that I've yet to suggest that yeah. to someone who didn't like them. And you're a fan too. I mean, do you have thoughts on Valley? Did I ever tell you how I discovered them? No, no, no. What's the origin? This had to be... Actually, I remember exactly. It was February because I had just gotten back from Vegas pre all of this. Um, And I was in my office doing my grind for one of the first days in a while. I hadn't turned on my Spotify, so I didn't have music playing. And all of a sudden I heard this beat coming from outside my office. It had a very nice vibe. Their voices sounded amazing. And I turned to my coworker and was like, I need to know like, who is this? And like, tell me more. Um, and she happened to be listening to Valley and sent me the song. I looked it up, turned on my Spotify and just let them play for the rest of the day. I didn't turn it off once. And since then, obviously, I've been a huge fan that it was. What song was it? Push for Yellow, Shelter. Yeah, that song was phenomenal. There's so many great songs on Maybe. I don't know what it was. It oh. was just the oh, way they constructed the song worked out super well and it was great so yeah i'm all for supporting and hyping them it's yeah i i like that song and there's so light in the house and a phone call to amsterdam have this mm-hmm. like very like ethereal anthemic sound to them like this like 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 when you're listening to it you, exactly. can, like, you can like feel the space in the room you know what i mean if that makes any sense like that like when you said that, like push for y'all, like it immediately started playing in my head because I love that song and I have the same exact feeling. Like I hear that and I'm like, oh, yes. Like I'm floating, I'm floating for a moment. But yes, please listen to them, guys. Like their debut album, maybe, is amazing, um, and you will not be disappointed. Uh, as far as entertainment goes, what are you feeling? Right I mean, now? this is probably going to start controversy, like everything I've said. But I was going to say that's pretty <laughs> much your brand. I'm just feeling like. Grey's Anatomy needs to end. I, I think we finally hit the point. And I know there are humans who are going to gonna feel some type of way hearing that. I had stopped watching Grey's Anatomy right... I don't want to give too much away, but right before Arizona and Callie had their falling out and came back after... Everyone knows this at this point, so I don't feel bad saying this one. Right when Derek passed. Um, and I've been watching ever since I got back into it. I fell very hard. Everyone knows at this oh point, boy, there is spoilers. no, there is no physical way not to know about that. It is <laughs> everywhere. Um, yeah, no, yeah, no. It's, it's talking about <laughs> pop culture, iconic, something that has permeated the pop culture. I mean, culture. I, being transparent, did I wear a suit because of his funeral? Maybe as I watched the episode. Um, but I, I'm worried that Grays is on the path to fill this big gaping void in television ever since about the 2010s 
of soap operas. We, as an industry, um, used to have this daytime television that brought you the drama, that had new episodes daily, that created these icons like Susan Lucci and had really great impact in culture. I mean, um, All My Children, I'm going to hype them up because that's what I watched. All My Children was the first show. Yeah, I was going to say, look at you (laughs) plugging All My Children. But they were the first show to have a lesbian couple kiss on live television. They, following conversations we've had, they worked intentionally to um, destigmatize the HIV crisis and had a female um, contract HIV and later AIDS um, versus what was being talked about at that time. So they have they've had a huge impact on my life. But that that model and that ability to tell a story and have it be different, but also put in so much drama that it never got in or never wasn't interesting was never the intent for shows like Grey's Anatomy for Scandal when it was on television, all of that. They all had a, a a shelf life, if you will. And I'm starting to get really concerned that Grey's Anatomy has not only outlived its shelf life, but is trying to find a new way to create another shelf life. And it's feeling too much for me at this point. Um, well, you know, yeah. since we're just doing a little bit of plugging, no, honestly, because here's the thing, like, I feel like it's a bonding moment for us with soap operas, because yeah. like, not a lot of especially guys, I mean, specifically guys, uh, I mean, being LGBTQ yeah. men, it does put us, I think, in another subset, Blame my grandma likely uh, <laughs> to have this commonality. But um, right, but no, but that's the thing is like, I, you know, I'm, a, I'm, a, I come from a family where my mom, you know, was a full time worker. So she recorded her daytime soaps, and we watched them in the evening. Um, and so, you know, I grew up watching As the World Turns and Young and the Restless, and my mom still watches, you know, YNR and Bold and the Beautiful to this day. Uh, so, like, they they still have their place in, in pop culture, I think. Uh, but I think that you do make a point, right? So I'm a huge Crazy Anatomy fan. Um, I think that, I, you know, I <laughs> basically kneel at the altar of Shonda Rhimes uh, yeah. as a writer, as a creator, as a showrunner. She's amazing. So, like, I almost never dare to speak ill of anything that she's created. But... Um, I think that like with Grey's Anatomy, I think you make a really strong point that it might have outlived its life at this point or, or, or is getting to that like really, like, I think that we should close. I think, you know, I think that, I think we should start to wrap it up now mm-hmm. before mm-hmm. it loses what made it so great, which was relevancy. Um, and, and I think that like we got something with Grey's Anatomy that we don't get from other shows but not quite it to the extent that we get it in soap operas, which is we got to watch yeah. a very long portion of someone's life and we got to see the ups and the downs and the humanity. And I think that that was beautiful, right? Like I think that like a show running this long really allows you to tell a important story in a very nuanced way. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that they have successfully done so, but like you've said, we went through so many iterations of different, um, like main cast members at this point that I do think that it's time to wrap it up and do the, and do yes. and honor the show by Don't doing do what you justice did to by wrapping it up appropriately. That's the one critique I'll ever have for <laughs> that last season. That last, that last episode was just, mm, we missed a mark, but yeah, I, I agree. And I, I mean, <laughs> before we get on another tangent, yeah. <laughs> I can't help but think too of, I'm sure there's going to be comparison in individuals out there of it hasn't even lived up to the length of law and order SVU. Right. 
of you have another show that has been on for decades now that has cultural relevance, has made an impact, and also has done a really great job of um, advocacy. And similar to Grey's Anatomy, it has had different iterations of cast members. Um, but something that I do think is important there versus what we see in a gray sense is the success for Law & Order SVU was it found its story, not a storyline. Very similar to Criminal Minds of we're going to talk about situations and those are going to be the thing that drive our characters and build our characters up. And we'll add in stories about them here and there versus a Grey's Anatomy that focused on a character and wanted to tell their life. And now we're reaching that point where it just feels like, are we still telling their life or are we trying to transition to another character? Or are we getting too caught up in all these other things happening that we don't feel just like you mentioned this amazing understanding of uh, a female who went on to become a doctor at an, um, a hospital and try to do all of these things. Well, I also think that, that one of the more important things and that I'm really grateful for that you, you sort of alluded to is that between SVU and Grey's Anatomy, what I think they've done that's been really great for pop culture and for the industry is that they have taken, they have really elevated two very powerful women who have shown they had to have Absolutely. staying power between Ellen Pompeo and Mariska Hargitay and have made and have given opportunity to to pay them properly for what they bring to the table. Um, and I think that that's something they, they've broken some, they've shattered some glass ceilings as far as um, what women get paid on television and whether or not a show that is led by a woman can stand the test of time. And I think that they've, they've both proven that and that, that I'm very grateful for. Uh, but I think you're right. And I think, and I think to, to touch some facts, I was watching a interview with Ellen Pompeo on CBS Sunday morning and they fully do not know mm-hmm. um, like, you know, if this is going to be the last season, they're, they are literally trying to decide to wrap it up and how they do it by doing it justice. So I know that they're there, that they are, that's where their brains are at the showrunners, the writers, the stars, um, and the producers, they want to wrap it up yeah. soon, but do it well. And so however they can do it well is how, the, how they will do it. And I, I'm on board. Let's for be that. real in stereotypical Shonda fashion. It's going to be a bomb is planted in the hospital and everyone just goes because no one lives through the end of Grey's Anatomy except for one character. Well, two actually. That was fucked up. Bro. But like that very much is on brand and you'd see, you know it. <laughs> Well, now that we've gone through our variety hour and hit on some really key topics to just the lives we've been experiencing, normally we would go on a tangent. Are there any things that you've missed? Any other tangents you want to highlight? You know, I'll say this (laughs) and I'll make it very simple because you know how I feel about voting rights, people. (laughs) The fact that we would be had the fact that we have allowed the Republican Party to frame voting rights and being pro-voting rights and making access to the ballot box easier, because I've said this, I've tweeted this, and I'll say it again. Anyone who thinks that fraud in voting is so easy reveals Mm. how little I believe they have voted. It is not an easy thing to do fraudulently. It would be quite difficult, and it would require a lot of human power to actually 
bring a, a a fraudulent plan of voter fraud or a plan of voter fraud to fruition no. and it would not stay sealed so i'm really annoyed that we have framed this this entire conversation around voting rights um that based on a big lie of voter fraud that doesn't exist and the people who are saying it uh, that is, that it happened will not show you a single shred of proof and so it's frustrating but i'm extremely pissed that we've allowed the republican party to frame <laughs> voting rights as a partisan issue it- this is not a partisan issue. If you let it be a partisan issue, it shows your privilege. It shows the issue. You reveal the issues right there. If voting rights is not something that can't be nonpartisan, then what is a democracy? It's been a partisan issue since what the first slave was brought to the Americas in 1619. So yeah, about that time. Anything about representation's always been partisan, but I digress. <laughs> no, I you know I agree. Yeah, and do you want to know who the how those lines have fallen, Terrell? The partisan lines yeah. have been the racists and the not racists. So, and we're still there. Who wants to be on which side? Twenty twenty hasn't changed at all. Um, you know what? Actually, that that reminds me of what my my brief tangent will be on as well. And this goes out to all my Caucasian folks, specifically white men. Honestly backtrack this goes out to all my men specifically white men um you saying that you're being misunderstood does not give you the right to be offensive simply put at no point at no point is saying something that offends someone an art of misunderstanding um unless it's on your end of you not recognizing that you are in the wrong but just what you mentioned, there is a clear line in all of human history. Those who stand on the side of the light and those who stand on the side of the dark, specifically race and racism in this situation. And um, yeah, just because you feel misunderstood does not make you the right side. And to that point, how about you just be comfortable with being a little misunderstood for a little while since you did, since we were so comfortable with doing that to entire populations for hundreds of years. Say it louder. Yeah. Get comfortable with a little bit of discomfort. That's how we're going to get through this. And if you aren't okay with that, then you're not interested in finding the actual solution to the bigger problems we face. <laughs> and but well, on that note, with all the mics dropped across America, I'm Terrell. And I'm Torrance. And we're dangerously likely to see you next week. Thank you.